the bees isn't enough. We need to help house them too. No one home fits them all. Most nest in the ground, but some prefer narrow tunnels, twigs, or trees. Bee hotels have become a popular way for people to provide cavity nesting bees an instant place to live. But are they the healthiest option for bees? I'm very pleased to introduce you to Dr. Kit Prendergast, a native bee ecologist and science communicator in Australia. Part of her work focuses on the impact of urbanization on native bees, which, as you all know, is a topic very close to my heart. Today, we're going to discuss her latest research, which took a deep dive into bee hotels. Kit, thank you for being here. Why did you decide to look at the effectiveness of bee hotels? So, two reasons, really. One was I wanted to be able to measure the nesting success of bees in different habitats and the fitness consequences on honeybees or native bees. Now, fitness in evolutionary terms is not how well you can do push-ups and sit-ups at the gym. It's your ability to survive and reproduce and the emphasis on reproducing because if you survive and never reproduce, your fitness is still zero. So I'd been looking at the impact of honeybees, which are an introduced species in Australia, and Australia is known for having introduced species devastate our wildlife. We are you know, notable for cats and cane toads um, decimating our wildlife. But the honeybee has sort of gone under the radar because not only is it introduced species, it's also an economically important species. So there's that, that bit of conflict, that bit of issue there. So I really wanted to look at the impact of honeybees on native bees so that we can manage honeybees in a sustainable manner. So I'd been looking at the association between honeybees and native bees foraging in the field. But that doesn't necessarily show that honeybees are having fitness consequences on native bees. Native bees might be going somewhere else when there's lots of honeybees, but still doing just as well. So I wanted to look at, in a location, are bees having fitness consequences, not reproducing as well, not making as many nests, having offspring that are smaller, skewed sex ratios. And that's something that you can't know just by looking at bees foraging the field. And the great thing about bee hotels is that as a study tool, I could insert nesting tubes, take the tubes out of the bee hotels, rear them in the lab, and I could measure all these things, how many species were emerging, measuring the size of the offspring, the sex ratio. So bee hotels were a really useful tool for for managing those questions. And I also wanted to look at the nesting success and fitness measures of native bees in bushland remnants versus residential gardens. So again, I've been looking at the diversity and abundance and different um, guilds, which different lifestyle strategies of native bees in bushland remnants. Um, For non-Australian listeners, the bush is like natural vegetation. So we in Perth, which is where I did the research in Western Australia, we're lucky because we have patches of natural vegetation still scattered throughout our city, which is really beautiful but of course these are always threatened with conflicts of development so I wanted to know how important were those bushland remnants compared with people's gardens so looking that at that um in the field just looking at the native bees in these different habitats in association with honeybees but I wanted to know the fitness consequences of native bees now the second reason why I wanted to look at bee hotels was also because They are becoming very popular at um, gardening stores, but there's 
a lot of what's called bee washing. So you might have heard of green washing before where companies, they will jump on bandwagons of people wanting to do the right thing to save the environment, but it might not necessarily actually save the environment. You know, keeping honeybees is an example. Honeybees are a managed species, an introduced species, and keeping honeybees to save bee biodiversity is like keeping chickens to save bird biodiversity it's actually not having an impact um so bee hotels very popular selling them at gardening stores are they actually going to help our native bees if you put them up are the native bees even going to use them and also what are the designs that are good so i did reading of the literature as in what's published in academic papers um to see what works and then i based my bee hotel designs on this um to see, you know, based on best practices, do they work? So that's why I wanted to look at big hotels. So many questions that I have for you on this. First, let's go back to the actual bee hotel. As you said, you designed your own with different size nesting holes. Why was this important? So there is a huge diversity of bees. I know we all get sort of told about the honeybee, which is actually very poor representative of bee biodiversity. So it's relatively large compared with most bees. It lives in colonies that can be managed in hives. Many native bees don't have that social structure or that nesting habitat. So bee hotels cater to solitary bees. So these are bees that don't live together. They don't care for their offspring either. Um, Each female has her own nest and she puts nectar and pollen into it, then seals it off. So she does the work in foraging for the offspring's food, as well as laying the eggs. So every female is both a worker and a queen, um, and then there's no post-laying care. So she seals up the nest, and these cavity-nesting bees in nature their nest in little holes in wood created by wood-boring beetles. And in urban areas, as well as in agricultural areas, unfortunately, we've had massive habitat loss and so these big old trees with the holes in them are often you know cleared and there's not as many so bee hotels potentially could be a way of providing extra nesting resources um but then as i mentioned there's not just one cavity nesting bee there's actually a diversity and they range in size so if we have you know just one size hole we're going to exclude many of the other species that are bigger or smaller but I also wanted to know what holes are used. So I trialed three different hole sizes that were sort of based on the sort of size of bees that could use them, four millimetre diameter, seven millimetre diameter, and 10 millimetre diameter. And this is important because if you see the ones that are sold at, at most shops that have drilled holes or bamboo, most of the holes are bigger than 10 millimetres. But based on my knowledge of the size of native bees, that's too big. Most native bees are smaller than honeybees. Um, some of them are the same size, some of them are a bit bigger, but you're not going to have massive, massive bees that nest in these cavities. The biggest bee in the world, uh, Megachili Pluto, that one isn't in Australia anyway, but it nests in termite mounds. So you can see there's a huge diversity of nesting habitats that we want to design bee hotels so that they are used by native bees. Prior to my studies I on bee hotels, well, when I was putting them up, I found a your typical bee hotel design and I published a paper on it because 
it wasn't being used by native bees at all. It had ants, wasps, and a family of lizards living in it, which is fine. But if we're trying to save the native bees, obviously that's not going to do anything to them. I want to know more about the locations, the bushland and the residential areas. What did you find regarding the floral resources in each area and bee hotel usage? Yeah, so the results from my bee hotel studies were quite similar to what I found um, observing how many native bees there were foraging the field in that bushland remnants were better habitat. So more bee hotels were used in the bushland remnants, more offspring were produced, um, associated with the bushland remnants, but also in residential gardens. Um, native vegetation was really important. So high proportions of native vegetation. The key thing is not just how many flowers there are and that can actually reduce how well bee hotels are used because not all flowers are equal value. Um, some are not pollinated by native bees, um, some are pollinated by birds or flies, some are not part of the native bees uh, repertoire because they're exotic plants, they're introduced from overseas and Australia especially, we have like really weird, cool fauna and we're known for that and flora, you know, marsupials, uh, monitoring like platypus and echidnas and we have weird specialised fauna, an example is a koala who's super specialised in eucalyptus, because we haven't had outside influences. Australia's been isolated by geographically from other continents for hundreds of thousands of years. So there's been co-evolution between the plants and the animals, so plants and bees. Eucalyptus, uh, Metaceae, the family, is also really important for native bees, not just important for koalas, but the blossoms the the native bees love and made them will only forage on those blossoms so if you have a garden full of exotic plants like pansies and petunias and roses and rosemary all those plants that are your typical plants that you can get at a garden store but are introduced here in Australia then many of those aren't suitable for the native bees so native plants native vegetation are important for supporting our native bees and, you know, it makes evolutionary sense, but still when you go to a garden centre, you don't find that many native flowers. Did anything surprise you about the results? So I was a bit surprised in terms of the lack of an association between flower diversity and native bee diversity and abundance at first because I guess, like, as a heuristic, diversity begets diversity. But there's been increasingly you know, studies that are sort of challenging that idea and really in ecology, like the devil is in the details. You can't just, you know, make broad statements. You have to go into the habitat, see what's happening, and also always think of everything in terms of evolution. That is the backbone to understanding biodiversity in every facet and that includes conserving native bees. So as I mentioned, the coevolution between native bees and their natural habitats and the native flowers. Um, that is what is going to be important for them. So it makes sense when you think about it. But yeah, I guess like it's sort of like a mantra that, you know, biodiversity begets biodiversity, but it matters what type of biodiversity. So what can you tell us about at least cavity nesting bees in Western Australia? How are they doing? So we don't have 
good knowledge of how populations are doing, whether we've lost any species, whether species are declining. What we do know is that there is actually a relatively high proportion of cavity nesting bees here. As a whole, globally and as a whole in Australia, the mega chili, which is the main cavity nesting bees, they tend to be, you know, not the dominant proportion of the bee fauna, but here they're actually a lot. And that probably relates to the fact that the habitat of southwestern Western Australia, the natural habitat, um, lots of Mary trees, eucalyptus trees, lots of banksia, and these bees really like fabaceae, native fabaceae, native pea plants, and these are very abundant in the bushland remnants. The Jacksonia, there's like heaps of those. And so at least originally, this was a very good habitat for the cavity nesting bees. And as I mentioned, we're fortunate that there still is quite a lot of bushland left. So the cavity nesting bees are hanging on. Um, the concern, though, is there's these things called sort of extinction legacy effects where, you know, if you clear habitat and there's fragmentation, sometimes it takes a while for species to go extinct. You know, it could be things like inbreeding effects, which, you know, take generations to actually cause the population to decline. So it's not like a glaciation event or a massive wildfire that just destroys everything. Sometimes these effects of extinction can take time. So it does come with that caveat. But yeah, like the southwest of Western Australia is actually very good for cavity nesting bees. And I was um, amazed at how many species used my bee hotels. I believe it was something like over 20 species used the bee hotels. And this is across 14 habitat, uh, 14 habitat sites that I surveyed. Um, so 14 sites um, over two years. So there's probably more. And that was just how many species used the bee hotels. So that was actually a fraction of the cavity nesting bees that were present. So that was another thing that I found was that bee hotels, they can be really useful for studying the ecology of native bees, um, as I mentioned, but you're not going to save all the cavity nesting native bees because some of them that I saw even abundantly in the field didn't want to use them. I don't know why. They just, it could be competition, but there were, there tended to be like plenty of holes that remained. So some of them just might like a particular native wood type. Like I use jarrow wood, which is natural, but maybe they're like nesting in banksy wood. As I said, there's still so much that we don't know. But yeah, there's actually, you know, incredibly high diversity and yeah, having, you know, just so many species present in this habitat is, you know, really amazing and shows how important it is to not neglect urban areas and just focus on, you know, other wild areas, which we should because they're going to be the baseline, even though they're not completely not impacted by other threats like climate change, for example, which happens everywhere. But yeah, I found like at the moment, like there's so much research into agriculture areas because it's all driven by how can we improve crop production, but that's not going to conserve native bees because as I said, many of them are specialized. They won't go to crops. So if you're focusing your effort on crops, you're not going to be conserving biodiversity. So do you have tips for people who want to bee hotels in their gardens? Is this something you would recommend or people should think about? Yeah, I think it's definitely something that if done appropriately can help boost native bees because as I mentioned, many places we have unfortunately cleared native trees 
And so we're giving them some extra opportunities to nest, which is always a good thing. But we need to make sure that they're designed properly. I have a book called Creating a Haven for Native Bees, which has all the information on this. And I will also be releasing one soon that's specifically on bee hotels. But in general, don't have the holes bigger than 10 millimeters because you won't get native bees using them. Put them up at like head height. They don't go on the ground. Make sure that once the holes are evacuated, that you get like a pipe cleaner and clean it out because there will be mites, there will be bee poop. So what happens is the native bees, they eat all the nectar and pollen, then they do a massive dump inside their nest because they don't want to like poop while they're metamorphosing. So there's going to be bee poop in there. And yeah, like pooping where you're then eating and developing isn't a good idea. So clean out the bee hotels with a pipe cleaner, answer an issue like, they they love holes, they love nectar, so if ants go in there and pipe cleaner, clean it out, put it somewhere else, don't put it anywhere near the an ant's nest. Don't yeah, buy many of the store ones because the holes are too big. There's like weird empty cavities, there's wood shavings in them, there's splinters that can damage the bee wings. They're probably treated from exported wood from China. You know, if wood comes into a country it has to be treated with chemicals because you know you don't want pests coming into a country so it makes sense but not good for building bee hotels from plus you know maybe the native bees they like the smell of the native wood rather than some introduced wood so yeah it's really easy to make your own as well as I mentioned block of native wood drill holes in it I've also had success with bamboo make sure the holes are deep too um 10 centimeters about 10 centimeters deep if they're shorter they might be entirely parasitized parasitized by a parasitoid wasp gastroptid wasps, um, parasitoids of native bees. So if you have it longer, there's going to be probably a greater chance that the ones at the back will be saved um, from parasitism. And, yeah, try not to keep honeybees in your backyard because it's not helping biodiversity. It could be competing with the native bee. Do you have a favourite bee? Oh, my God. I love so many. I will talk about two of my favourites because I have tattoos of bees. Um, probably adding to them. Oh, I'll talk about three. <laughs> I'm so bad at deciding. Okay, so the first one is Amygdala dorsoni. This bee was sort of my gateway into native bees. I learned about it in undergrad based on its alternative mating tactics. And then I got an opportunity to go up and study it with a researcher from Arizona. And he's sort of like an amazing bee guru and I had an amazing time. And then when I finished my PhD as like a celebratory thing, I got a tattoo of them on my back. And then another one that I really love is Mega Chili Aurifrons. The Mega Chili are the main ones that use bee hotels. And I just love their name, firstly, like Mega Chili. That's cool. I first published a paper on a species, which was then reclassified to a genus all on its own, Rosanapis. But yeah, the mega chili, they're, they're just really cute. Like they, they're cute. Again, they have really interesting mating habits. And after my PhD, my first big project was I led a project where I installed a thousand bee hotels in areas that have been affected by fire to see if providing extra na- nesting habitat could help the native bees colonize and establish in these post-fire habitats and it was like it's something that hasn't been done before so I was like oh you know it might not work sorry to my dad who spent so many so much time building bee hotels for me um but it did 
it was like I every single one was occupied. Some of them, every single hole was occupied. They were occupied more, far more than the ones in my urban studies, which suggests that either there's more bees in these post-fire habitats, which I could rule out because I was also observing how many native bees there were. It was the fact that there was a shortage of bee nesting habitat once the fire had gone through, as makes sense. And so, yes, putting these up allowed bees a better chance of recovery. So that was really, really great. So I decided to get a tattoo of Omega Chili and I chose Omega Chili that uses the bee hotels a lot and it's also freaking amazing because the females have red eyes, bright red eyes, and the males have two-tone red and green eyes, but I decided to get one of the females because they're the ones that use the bee hotels. Yeah, so that's my second favourite native bee and the third one is special to me because I described it. It's not every day you get to describe a new species. It's called Leoproptocepha. And I described it after my dog. Her name is Zephyr. So the bee is in the genus Leoproptus. The species is Zephyr. And um, I named it after my dog because she is very beautiful and very special to me. And she was with me throughout my like whole PhD journey. So I really wanted to, you know, commemorate her for life. Like that species is never going to unless it goes extinct, which I really hope not because it's actually super rare and super specialised and has no legislative protection. But, yeah, yeah, commemorating her by describing a new species after her. That is beautiful. I love the dog connection. I have so many questions, though, now. First, going back to when you installed the bee hotels in the areas affected by forest fires. You had great results with the bees living in the hotels. What were they foraging on? Western Australia is a sort of a fire-prone country. So the good thing is that unlike, say, in Tasmania, where I would love to replicate this study to see if I get the same results, fire has been part of the landscape not to the same frequency and extent that we're having now. So that's the issue. But the plants have evolved to spring back quite readily after fires. So the, it's called Bossier, a native pea plant, comes back quite quickly after the fires. And our eucalypts, because they're quite tall, and these fires weren't as devastating as the fires on the east coast of Australia. The like upper canopies of what's called um, Mary, which is Carimbia califila, endemic to southwest Western Australia, makes amazing honey um, called red gum honey. It's got really good floral resources for native bees. Many native bees forage on it. I'm working on a paper soon to be submitted where I actually say how many species have been recorded on it, and it's 80 species, which is, yeah, a lot of species. So... Yeah, a really important resource. So the native bees were foraging on these resources that were able to either survive or spring back after the fires. So that's the important thing. So there are some people who are doing some very bad things and what they're doing is they're putting bee hotels up in good habitats. The native bees are colonising the bee hotels and they're taking the bee hotels from the good habitats and putting them into post-fire habitats. Now, this could be a terrible idea. If the post-fire habitats aren't regenerating, then you're essentially putting native bees into these habitats just to die. So that's why I put in empty bee hotels. If the native bees didn't use them, that's evidence that the habitat is bad. 
and the bees aren't recolonizing. So you're also potentially depleting native bees from good populations by you know, taking out an entire next generation, putting them somewhere else and moving genes around. Very bad idea. So if anyone's thinking of doing that, please don't. <laughs> so bee hotels, putting them in there, it will tell you if native bees can colonize the area, but putting bee hotels with bees already in them into another place is not a good idea. You could do some damage there. Is there any reason or any situation in which relocating native bees from one area to another would be a good idea? Yeah, if an area is going to be cleared, like there's no chance of it not being protected. If it's going to be mined, like mining, Western Australia is known for its mining, alas. And unfortunately, lots of the money that's able to fund conservation work is due to mining or mining offsets. So like they clear a habitat, it's like they have to put money into conservation to offset that. Yeah, if you're mining something, restoration takes many years. So better to have the native bees go into the bee hotels and put them in the safe habitat. So there, that way you're taking native bees from somewhere that's bad or it's going to be bad to a good place rather than taking them from a good place to a potentially bad place. So, yeah, if habitat is going to be cleared. What do you believe is the biggest threat to native bees and what can we do to help? Yeah, biggest threat. Well, habitat destruction. Loss of natural habitat is the biggest threat. And we can help that by, you know, asking councils, no, we don't want to widen this road or we don't want to have the verge cleared or would prefer to have our lot and you know, stay the same size with a big yard full of native vegetation rather than subdivide so that you've got apartments stuck together. And, you know, again, advising, asking councils, can you get a native bee scientist to see what flowers the native bees in your area like so that we can have evidence-based planting guides for natural areas? Yeah, native bees need to be on the radar more and this is an issue facing invertebrates in general. But yeah, we need to conserve native bee biodiversity and this involves knowing what the diversity is, what the species are, and actually including them in protection. I couldn't agree more. Thank you so much. Thanks for inviting me. Raising awareness of native bees is so important on so many levels. Thanks again to Dr. Kit Prendergast for joining us today, and thank you for listening. Be sure to visit the website, thebeesknees.website, to read more about Kit's research into bee hotels, a link to the book she mentioned, and more. See you again in September, and until then, keep buzzing.